namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Aparuta de Sangamatasatawara ye Sodavanta Bamunjantu Satang. Well, thank you for that delightful invitation. (laughs) (laughs) So, this tomorrow is a. We're reaching the the ending of this retreat, ending on Sunday, so uh, recognize that ending of things uh, is very different than beginning. Uh, It's in this intuitive way you contemplate the the feelings that come with this perception of the retreat is coming to an end. And already I notice uh, uh, people are talking more Noble silence is slipping away, <laughs> a sign of the end. <laughs> so just, just, to, just to not to to, to kind of um, end more skillfully, uh, kind of reaffirm this uh, noble silence to carry it right through to the end, if possible, to where you change, you you take the five precepts, uh, which relieves you from the eight precepts. Also, the tendency to want to make plans, uh, thinking about what you're going to do after the retreat, and and uh, or the mind starts moving away from the present to thinking about uh, planning and and uh, what what you intend to do afterwards. Uh, just notice that the the way things are as you get to the end of something, then the future is the more becomes significant and our concern for what we do afterward increases. And in meditation you want to notice how things, you want to pay attention to how things are, the the way it is, like the beginning of a retreat, the the kind of uh, initial um, shock, the settling in, the, the inspiration that comes, uh, the kind of anticipations of what's going to happen, uh, and then now it's it's moving towards its ending. So the mind it moves in a different way, and but the constant factor in all this is the mindfulness, to be in that, to take that refuge in a pure, attentive awareness. Uh, just to try even more to to be to use that awareness uh, to be aware of this of the mind that's planning for the future, thinking about what happens at the end. So we're reviewing the four noble truths. Uh, the fourth noble truth is the eightfold path, and this, this, um, there, and so this is the way of non-suffering. So there is a way to end suffering, a way to escape from the condition the created, the born, the originated, and so this eightfold path uh, is the fourth noble truth. Is the the way of mindfulness based on right understanding or right view. 
So the eightfold path of the first, the first uh, fold of the eight is uh, samaditi, which is the uh, right, right view or right understanding of the Dhamma. And of course, this comes from the uh, reflecting and insights on the, uh, from the first, second, third noble truths. So uh, in the, real, the, the third noble truth, the realization of cessation, the realization of that, that, that dukkha or suffering ceases, this is the, the reality, knowing reality of cessation of suffering. When there is no suffering, uh, then the mind is like this. So reflective awareness is, is uh, our ability to observe when there is suffering and when there is no suffering. And the suffering that we're talking about isn't the suffering of pain or sickness or old age, uh, loss or anything like this, but the suffering we create around these experiences. So this is the end of suffering is we stop creating, making suffering making ourselves suffer around getting old, around pain and sickness, disease, loss of the love, frustration uh, that exists in this realm, the having to be with the unloved, uh, and all the rest, the, the soka pariteva tuka tomanasupanyasa, grief, sorrow, despair, anguish, that is... Uh, common to this realm that all human beings experience. No, no matter, uh, you know, whoever is enlightened, we still experience the loss of the loved ones, the frustration, irritations of being with that which is unpleasant, what we don't like. Want, uh, we, we see the, the, the suffering of others, the, the, um, unhappiness, the misery, uh, the unfairness, the, the corruption, the, the horrors of life. We're not uh, blind to these kind of experiences, but we do not create suffering around our contact with these experiences. So in, say, for example, Asking people were asking about uh, how to relate to what's happening in Yugoslavia, or uh, the when when somebody's uh, performing some kind of uh, horrific act, uh, and the the question, of course, arises: what what can we do about it, or how should we uh, regard this? And of course, the answer is mindfulness to be aware that when we see or hear or whatever we, we, we receive that impinges on our senses, on our mind, if it is unpleasant or ugly or uh, unfair or corrupt, horrific, or, or less than that, we still feel it because that's the way it is. But how we respond to that feeling now we have a choice. Uh, usually it's a reaction. When we hear bad news about, um, say, uh, persecution of innocent people, uh, usually we feel outraged or indignant, angry, uh, wanting to seek revenge, wanting to punish um, the tyrants and the the ones who are perpetuating these uh, indignities on others. And uh, so this is a reaction, say, if we're, if we're quite good people who, who uh, are kind-hearted, then when we hear of brutality and unfairness and corruption, we, we tend to react with a feeling of anger and indignation, outrage. This is, a, say, a reaction. When we're mindful, then we can respond to these situations. So, 
a reaction is, is like it's conditioned and you don't have much of a choice in the matter uh, because you're kind of programmed to react like that. So when, when you hear this, you react like that. When you hear bad news, then you feel angry. When you hear good news, you feel happy. So, so that's the, the, the uh, reactive uh, conditioning process that we all have. But in awakened mind, the awakened awareness, we're, we're liberating ourselves from just the momentum of habit and reactivity that we've acquired, from the, the habit tendencies that tend to take us over when we awaken into this state of awareness and learn to develop or cultivate awareness from right understanding, right view, then our response, then we can respond to the various experiences that we have in life. So our response is based on understanding, on right view, right uh, on wisdom and compassion or joy or equanimity. So the the four Brahma Viharas, they are these are the, the natural responses that come from the purity of the mind. They're not created by me or you or anybody. They're not trying to feel compassionate uh, through through grasping ideas of compassion, sentimental attitudes about uh, compassion or love or whatever, because these are natural responses from the the purity of the mind. So when we when we when we are mindful and we begin to really respect that refuge through mindfulness, then we have entered the the, the natural state of the mind which is pure, unconditioned. And then responses to the misfortunes, unfairnesses, and atrocities that we see or hear about is the response would be karuna, metta karuna, to the beauty and goodness of the world that we live in and the good-heartedness of others and the generosity and kindness uh, that we experience from others and what we experience, we have the mudita, sympathetic joy, which is a spontaneous response to the beauty and goodness of life. And upeka, equanimity, uh, which sometimes seems uh, like an indifferent, uh, I remember the first time a monk described equanimity, used the word indifference. So the highest attainment for a Buddhist is to be indifferent. (laughs) Obviously, didn't realize that that's not such a good word in English. Equanimity is a little better. Uh, Upeka is 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 also uh, the ability we have to uh, not not be caught in the emotional states. Uh, we always have a refuge in equanimity, so that when we're not, uh, you know, seeking. Um, uh, we're not creating endless problems and issues around life itself. So, when we we have the the ability to know when when there's nothing we can do, when there's when there when 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 it's time to do something or when it, there isn't anything that is possible to do, uh, we we move towards equanimity this state of, of composure and balance, emotional balance. In the Theravada tradition, metta and upeka are baramitas, so that their baramitas are accumulated virtues. So they're dealing with the, with the mind in a very direct way. Metta is, as we have uh, talked about a lot, is, uh, is the uh, generally interpreted as loving-kindness, 
but it is the is our ability to to be able to respond to the conditioned realm with patient acceptance, uh, non-judgmental, uh, non-critical, uh, patient acceptance of uh, everything, of all conditioned phenomena, whether it's good or bad. To accept the good is not is not difficult, but to to be able to to not hate the bad, you know, and, and want to destroy and seek revenge or or make uh, judgments against what's evil and bad is 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 quite difficult, isn't it? So so metta is is not approval or going along with what's bad, but it's it's not hating, it's it's not compounding the bad with anger, resentment, hatred and and uh, revenge. So metta allows us to, uh, say, respond to what we don't like and don't want with more patience, with non-anger, uh, non, not criticizing. It doesn't mean that we don't see, we don't, we're not aware of what's wrong or we refuse to look because we're quite aware of what's wrong or what's unfair, or what's bad. but. When we are aware, when we're in, the, in that state of pure attention and awareness, then we're not, we're not proliferating out of anger and resentment about how horrible something is. So metta is, is a, a kindness, being kind, being patient, being, uh, being able to accept things as they are without uh, getting caught up with our habitual emotional reactions to them when they when they are uh, repulsive or unpleasant. So I regard the Brahma Viharas, the four Brahma Viharas. We were living in in these uh, residences named Metta Karuna Budhinupeka. <laughs> Uh, as uh, as what they call the divine abodes or the pure abode, their state they come from the purity of the mind. They're universals. They're not they're not personal achievements. So this is where we're learning to 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 take refuge in this awareness. Uh, doesn't make us in, into some kind of totally indifferent, unresponsive. Uh, unfeeling, enlightened arahant. <laughs> uh, some people, that's the picture some people get, you know, just an arahant, just, you don't, you don't care and you don't feel anymore. Because uh, we, 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 we have strong feelings, don't we, about, say, uh, the, the state of the world the corruption in the society, the unfairnesses that are part of, of every political and economic system in every country on this planet, of the uh, devastation of the environment, of the genocides that are taking place, of the, of the uh, uh, exploitation of the third world and the uh, pollution of the seas and the destruction of animal life and all the rest, uh, all the, that we uh, can concern ourselves with. And yet if we endlessly approach all these just on the level of emotion, it's too much, isn't it? Because there's no end to it. There's, there's always so much more to be angry and indignant about. And, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. So, it, uh, you know, what, what to do? Uh, what can we do, is the, is the common question. How can we help? How can we help the, the situation in Yugoslavia? Well, there are probably many ways we can help, but one, one way that we can help, let's say, 
that I can help right now sitting here on this uh, in this seat they just using this what can I do right now at this moment this time sitting here at Spirit Rock that I know I can do that's going to benefit all sentient beings not just Yugoslavians or just me and so the answer to that of course is awakened awareness that I can do isn't it right now that's not something I, I need to put off till uh, next year or next week after the retreat to help the uh, Serbians and the Albanians and the Kurds and the Sierra Leone and all the rest, all the different ethnic battles and things that are going on. I, well, how do I know that's helpful? Well, I trust in that. I know that 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 just the simple act of awakened awareness is is something that a human being can can easily do, in which the all the conditioning, the ethnic cultural conditioning that we all have in our own biases and prejudices and our own uh, karmic tendencies where we're transcending that where we're in a state of universal purity that that goes through everything it's not just a, a kind of purity in my little heart or brain and that I see it as a, as a un touching into a universal reality the natural purity that 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 really is available to all beings everywhere. Well, and and we realize the power of that. Just that simple ability right now that each one of us has is to pay attention, to be, to just wake up, listen, be open, receptive. That I, I can do, and that, and so it's very, it, you know, it is important to know what you can do, or you can sit here and I can't do anything, or I'm just sitting here on this retreat, Spirit Rock, while all that slaughter is going on in Yugoslavia, and what what am I doing? I'm just sitting here in this very nice place, good food, everything's kind of paradise, and all those people are being. Slaughtered over there in Yugoslavia, and my country's involved in it all. Bombing this, bombing that, participating in the slaughter, probably. And what can I do? And then we can worry about it. We can hate. We can blame. We can uh, just wind ourselves up with anguish and despair, blame and so forth, and not have one conscious, not one aware moment while we're, we're lost in that uh, anguish and despair, resentment, hatred and frustration uh, and doubt about our own ability to do anything. And also we can see what we're doing here is maybe doing nothing for the welfare of anybody. And it looks, sitting on a mat, it looks like you're, you're just shutting down. Coming to a nice place like this and just sh say, I don't want to know, don't tell me. <laughs> well, we might be doing that, some of you might be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly possible, but but uh, that's not what I'm recommending. <laughs> because they, they, we're not shutting down, but we're opening up, and then it's awareness, intuitive awareness is a is opening up the heart. It's opening up the mind. It's not shutting it off. At least this is how I see it. How I experience meditation is is an opening to life, not a closing myself off from it. So even though I might look like I'm sitting here closing myself off, I mean, if you, if you don't know what, what meditation is, then it's easy to assume that, that I'm just sitting here 
uh, in a state of just total shutdown and uh, and and not caring, not wanting to know, and not wanting to be bothered with the world, or opening the mind up, and in that openness of mind, and when the mind is open, then we're getting beyond our own personal karma, and our own and the sense of, and the self-importance that goes along with that, tuning in to the, the deathless, the, the gate to the deathless is open, the, the, uh, and, and learning to surrender to that attentiveness, learning to just learn to relax into the state of pure attentive awareness. And then in that, 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 then, that, then we have a way of, of, say, spreading metta and karuna, mudita, upeka, because that's c- coming into a universal reality rather than just a personal habit. So then you ask, how do you know that? <laughs> Well, it's up to you to, to realize it yourself. You don't, you know, I can convince you. Some of you might believe what, and think, I, I believe what Arjun Samedo says, or some of you, I don't, I don't believe it. But I'm not asking you to believe, but to, to be, to try it out, you know, to, to see, to begin to, to awaken yourself to this realization, because it's, it's not just my realization. It's not something I've made up and created. It's the Dhamma, the way things are, the truth of the way it is. So the more, like, like say, this is coming from grassroots also. It's like each, each one of us is a kind of blade of grass, aren't we? And we, when we look at all the grass in the on the planet we can we you know we want all the blades of grass on the planet to be healthy and then we think it's overwhelming you know because uh, you know it just seems too many the mind boggles you can't can't cope with that many blades of grass but this one blade of grass here I can I have some control over <laughs> This, this, this form here, this conscious being here, this, I can work from here. This is within my ability, within my rights. This is possible. Whether I can, I can't make you do it. I can't kind of make you wake up and be, be mindful and all that. I can encourage, I can uh, try to help, but the actual waking up is up to you, isn't it? That's only something you can do. So in this way, you reflect the potential for humanity, you know, of human beings as Buddhas, as this potential ability to be, say, in the state of awakened awareness, uh, channels of, that, that, that can channel the Brahma-viharas, through flowing through these forms, these human forms, uh, capable to uh, act in compassionate ways to express love and joy, is through these forms. So we've seen that in various teachers we've had, or people we know, or people we've heard about through the 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 ages, through the the saints and the Sufis and the arahants and the bodhisattvas and and the uh, all the rest that have the sadhus and uh, enlightened beings that we hear about that talking about human beings like ourselves that have realized their, their natural state of purity and the, the result is that they are you know channels for compassion just in my own experience uh, with somebody like Lung Po Cha, Ajahn Chah, one little Thai monk in a, in a remote part of Thailand, a tremendous 
effect on millions of people without, I mean, he wasn't self-seeking in any way, he wasn't going out trying to convert or, or uh, you know, trying to get a following of any sort. Well, they stayed in the in the Ethan in the northeast Thailand, in in the not, you know, not a it's not on the main drag. <laughs> not even many Thais go there. So, and yet um, from that remote place, uh, and from and he was uh, from a rice farming community in a village. He wasn't like a prince of of that area. So, and yet um, from that remote place uh, and from, and he was uh, from a rice farming community in a village. He wasn't like a prince of, of that area, uh, aristocratic leader, but, but they, from uh, a rice growing uh, peasant family in Northeast Thailand, and yet through his own uh, faith and, and efforts and, and wisdom, was able to free his mind from selfish intention and delusion. See the fourth noble tooth, uh, the samaditi, right view, right understanding. And in the power of that, the effect that had on the people around him. So I've seen that, witnessed that for myself, and I've experienced that, the, the power of compassion, metta karuna mudhitu peka, from uh, my teacher. So, and, and yet he, he, he was certainly aware of the problems of, around him, of the injustices, of uh, the corruption, the the social problems of Thailand and so forth, it wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't living in a pink cloud or an ivory tower. He's a very earthed and very realistic, practical person. But his response to life was always that of compassion to the suffering of others. And so this, this we see is, is not just an isolated incident, just a one-off situation. This is the potential we all have as human beings, that every human being has. We can see now at a time where the end of the century, end of the millennium, the, the Y2K, and, the, and all the doom, destruction, death, decay uh, scenarios that we hear, and uh, all the rest, it's uh, the gloom, doom, and, and the... Uh, uh, the, these kind of perceptions are, seem to be increasingly common, uh, and they, of course, they they bring a kind of fear into the mind, a dread. And so that the, we you know we can we can just think well it doesn't really matter, why bother? There's so many people on this planet now. When I was born in 1934, there were 2 billion, 2.4 billion, or 2.2 no, 2 billion, according to statistics, world population statistics, 1934, 2.2 billion people. And now it's five, it's almost six billion, isn't it? In, in over 60 years. Uh, the, the, there's never been this many human beings on this planet in the known history of, of human civilization in, in, in our perceptions. There's never been this many human beings alive at the same time. And it's, and it's increasing. They say by, the, by 2050 it'll be 10 billion. The kind of predictions are rather overwhelming because it's certainly seemingly crowded with five, with six billion. Two point two billion was seemed to be all right, I remember. <laughs> uh, 
So we can see, you know, just like you can see the increasing amount of genocide or or disrespect for life or feeling or the, the not valuing uh, human life at all. Just seen as you know, street people or street children. And then, I don't remember these as being problems back in 1934 when I was born. <laughs> certainly, you know, growing up during the Second World War, certainly that was a powerful experience where you certainly were aware of genocide and slaughter and and that. And we thought, when once that's over, we're, we're going to have this peace. And then it keeps going, isn't it? It keeps going on genocides of various kinds, racial prejudices, ethnic hatreds, tribal hatreds. And, and it's like in, in, uh, in the UK where I live, in Northern Ireland, endless problem of, of, of uh, Indignation, anger, resentment, carrying all the grudges from from two hundred years between Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland. They're Christians, both are Christians, but they 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 hate each other, and uh, they total mistrust and and a whole a whole list of wrongs that each one each side clings to. And so this goes on and on. Where, where, does, where does it end? Where can it all end? You know, you can go through various kind of meetings, conferences, and kind of go through formal forgiveness ceremonies, but it's still latent within the heart of, of human beings, isn't it? The, the way we're culturally conditioned, the way we, we acquire the biases of our own ethnic backgrounds and parents and and our own view that's twisted and and perverted by the particular biases that we get from our own cultural conditioning so this is what do we do about it when in every place in the world, somebody hates some other group. There's always this, this snobbery looking down on some group. We're better than they are. They're the, they're the uh, stupid ones. They're the country cousins. They're the, the, uh, you know, the the evil ones. And looking, all, I've never been to any place where there isn't somebody to hate. Some group that that is considered, uh, you know, at the at the bottom of the pile. So there's the scapegoats and the the tendency of the human mind to 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 choose uh, uh, and to to always blame suffering or something on another group. So this is the conditioning of the mind. Now what the Buddha is pointing to is realizing the unconditioning of the mind. Where this is, this has no ethnic quality to it. Uh, who, who, what ethnic group is is pure? Is there any ethnic group that has no blood on its hands? Name one. <laughs> uh, or you know, race. Or can we? The idea of racial purity is really a joke, isn't it? Uh, uh, this idea that you can be pure through belonging to the white race. I can't, I can't imagine how anyone could believe in such a foolish perception. But yet they did. Back in the 40s, 30s and 40s, there were these Aryan kind of uh, uh, perceptions going around. The Aryan race was pure and, and all the others were inferior. Human beings were quite willing to believe in this rubbish. So even intelligent people, educated and cultured people, can can be totally deluded. So 
That's not the thing, to try to convert everybody to the same religion, the same culture, and, and try to create a kind of uniformity of conditioning. That doesn't work. Like in the UK now, for example, uh, in England, uh, now there's this, this devolution taking place where the Scots are asserting themselves into uh, moving towards being independent, and the Welsh, and, and then I hear even in Cornwall there's some kind of... Uh, there's only a, you know, a couple of Cornish people left, but they're probably going... <laughs> Next thing it will be the Yorkshiremen and the Lancastrians and so forth. Everybody's asserting their, you know, my my group. So it's endless. Either you, you know, you kind of orient what's happened in Yugoslavia, isn't it? I remember growing up hearing Yugoslavia, and when I never heard of Bosnia, I heard of Serbo-Croatia. I didn't really know where it was. I knew it was, it was Yugoslavia. But where Croatia and Serbia were in relationship to each other, I hadn't a clue till the, all the, till the, this war started. Uh, and, and suddenly you hear about Bosnian Croats and Bosnian Muslims and Bos- Bosnian uh, Serbs and and um, I never heard of Bosnian Muslims either. And so suddenly all these things, you know, Slovenians, and like suddenly in these countries, the, all these ethnic things start popping up again. Or in the what was once the Soviet Union. Whoever heard of Chechenia? I never. The Soviet Union was just this huge area on the map that was yellow. <laughs> They were all Russians, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> so that's simp- simplistic, isn't it? These na- huge nations and and so forth are, are one way of looking at at, at it. You know, kind of a, maybe an idealistic view of of that we can all unite under some national cause and and conform. And yet, as as successful as these unions have been, they, they tend to break up too, because uh, like the Soviet Union or Yugoslavia or the United Kingdom. Why is that, you know? Why can't we all just try to, to have one language, one uniform, one uh, culture where we, we get rid of all these ethnic differences that's impossible, isn't it? Because the the basic problems of ignorance and attachment have not really been resolved yet. Now you can enforce conformity through fear, through punishment. Can you? You can make you all uh, you make it make us all conform to to wear the same uniform and and say the same things. But underneath all that lies resentment, anger, and cultural attachments and biases and conditioning uh, that, that, that kind of fulminates underneath the uniform and the common language. And when the pressure's off, the, where the conformity is no longer uh, tyrannically uh, taking hold of us, then these, these uh, unaccepted, unresolved forces start popping up into consciousness and that's like in meditation, isn't it? Where you're sitting here, suddenly you're finding maybe surprising emotions just suddenly coming out of nowhere. Where if you live your your ordinary life, you you have a way of dealing with things in which you can kind of get through and and feel all right and everything's okay. But when you're really left, when when the pressure's off to uh, say of work and family and the duties and the the mundane routine, and you're left alone without anything to do. Then what happens? So in this this respect, 
say, the, the Buddha's pointing to a universal realization, not a, a cultural or even a, a particular religious one. It's not the enlightenment, you can't say, or the unconditioned reality is belongs to Buddhists. You're getting beyond the conventions, beyond the the uh, perceptions of any religion or or cult or ethnic group or race or culture or civilization to the common ground. This is this is talking about where are we all equal? It's in that. That's where equality is, is in wisdom, in the purity of the mind. And so every, when we, when we recognize that in humanity, then we, we see the potential of every human being, whether they're drug addicts or criminals or, <clears throat> or terrorists or whatever race, nationality, whatever gender, whatever they are, in, in the, 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 the mind that sees things as they really are, sees the potential, the purity of, human, of the human, the human potential for purity, seeing that each human being has this potential for enlightenment. So then you begin to, to look at humanity no longer as just a burgeoning plague that's kind of destroying the planet and uh, and seeing it all in the kind of pejorative terms of 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 uh, the y2k scenarios and the and the this humanity is a as just a, a bunch of greedy selfish uh consumers and that's what ma- the materialist attitude is. it portrays us all as what what's the common way of talking about humanity in the United States, consumers. You know, they're just like big mouths. <laughs> I'm trying to swallow everything in sight. And we're, we're selfish and vain. You know, we just think about ourselves and we, we just want, want things to, we want to look nice and wear nice clothes and, and, and uh, be attractive and have a good time and and we just uh, uh, are self-centered and greedy and easily corrupted. And these kind of cynical views of you can, you can buy anybody if you've got the money. You can, you know, anybody will, anybody's virtue will, can be bought if you, if you can, you know, if, you, if you've got enough money, anyone, even the best will, will settle for the, for, uh, 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 being bribed, and that's that's a very cynical attitude, isn't it, about the nature of humanity? Well, human beings can be like that, so it's not like it's based uh, totally false. We can be vain and greedy consumers. Admittedly, that that's not uh, beyond anyone's uh, capability. <laughs> but the other way, another way of looking at humanity, isn't it? Seeing the Buddha. The purity, the potential there, uh, and and when we do this to each other, then we we're, we're really encouraging that that to appear. That's what I felt very much in my life as a monk, and in uh, say uh, living with somebody like Lung Po Cha, was it 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 made it awakened me to that in myself, just being around. Seeing, have, having somebody looking at me with respect and love and not seeing me as just a, a, a troublesome person or a, or a white man or a, or a big American or just seeing me in, in, the, mo- in the most crude terms of, uh, that human beings can look at each other but seeing me with respect, with love, with compassion. So just having that experience alone bring would help to bring out those qualities in me. I've seen that in, in my own life as a monk, the, like living in Thailand for, for 11 years. Uh, I found the, the, um, 
that I tend, like I, I living in that country, I tended to, and living in a good monastery, uh, when people would come to that monastery, they were, everybody wanted to be good. You know, they were all trying their best. What they were like outside the monastery, I don't know. But when they come to the monastery, there was a, an attempt, isn't it, to, to be good, to be generous. Uh, so you can see that it was like, and they, that's what they came to the monastery for, because they wanted to be good. They wanted to be loved. Uh, they wanted to love. They wanted, uh, they, 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 these places were, were opportunities where their good side, their beautiful side, could manifest. And when they go back, maybe it's not the same. They go back to, to the uh, lives they have to live in whatever they're doing. But there's this, there's also this other potential. Uh, living in, in England for 23 years. You know, I've lived there. I've seen the best side of, 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 of Britain. I mean, the, the dark, ugly side of that country has hardly touched me in 23 years. Because people, when they come, the people I meet, that the tend to gather around me, usually uh, have that longing to toward what is good and kind, generous, pure. So we see, I'm not drawing people into a monastery, to a monastery in order to be greedy consumers. They can go other places for that. The shopping, the, uh, the malls and the... <laughs> they go there to be greedy. But <laughs> in the monastery, they don't come to be greedy. And so you can see that, that, uh, that say, from my particular perspective, this gives me a, a view, a way of looking at human beings, too, that, that sees through maybe the, the vanity, the superficiality, the consumer, the, the, um, the, the personalities towards an ultimate reality that that helps to maybe awaken that, awaken people toward that realization. So this is just the simple act of awakened awareness. It's very powerful, isn't it? It's not, even though it doesn't seem like much, if you describe it uh, on a talk show on television, they probably think, it's pretty boring. It's, what, are there any stories about bad monks committing uh, scandalous acts? You know, that, really, that, that would that that makes you a hit on the talk shows. If you if you go on a talk show and and talk about mindfulness, not terribly exciting. Doesn't seem like much. But yet the power of that is, is, is has a universal, uh, you know, it spreads, it's, it's universal. So just encouraging you in your practice to see, it, see the significance of what you're doing and to really develop a respect for what you're doing because what you're doing is worthy of respect. And, and it's not just a selfish, uh, even though you you even might think that you've come here just for a selfish reason, don't believe it. I mean, sometimes you can be you can take the worst possible uh, version of yourself and believe that's the truth. But I don't believe that. I don't believe any of you came here uh, for selfish for purely selfish reasons. And so, so this this recognize that this this meditation is something that, even though it doesn't seem like much, you can't measure it. You can't go away saying, I've really, you know, how much mindfulness I've acquired over a 10-day retreat at Spirit Rock and, and kind of, you know, have a, have a chart to show anyone. <laughs> but that's, that, that's not, that's, that, that would be the consumer mind, wasn't it? The one that wants proof and wants to, you know, I, I, I paid this much money, spent this much time, and I got a lot for it, you know. <laughs> it's worth a lot of money. 
worth a lot. I got a lot for my money, in other words. Or this, the, the awakened state of mind, which is, has no, no demand, no quantity, no quality other than purity and intelligence, and unconditioned and deathlessness. And you and you have that potential, that ability to realize that more and more. So when you you leave here, don't think that that's the end. This, this is you know this is something to develop and cultivate. So the fourth noble truth is about cultivating or developing. But as you're tuning into the to the ultimate reality deathless reality, then then the, this does begin to come together in, in, in terms of an insight and, and, and seeing clearly the, the, the way or the path or the, the um, and to cultivate this, they're called pavana. This path should be developed. So the insight into this uh, is to develop it or cultivate it in daily life. And then the, the last insight, the twelfth insight, is this path has been developed. So in the, the Four Noble Truths there's a suffering, there is suffering, suffering should be understood, suffering has been understood. There is the causes of suffering, the causes should be let go of. The causes have been let go of. Uh, there is the cessation of suffering. Cessation should be realized. Cessation has been realized. There is the way of non-suffering, the, the Eightfold Path. The, this path should be cultivated. This path has been cultivated or developed. Now this is, this is the sequence. This is the the, the twelve insights of the arahant. So if you want to know what an arahant knows, it's the three aspects of each noble truth, the twelve insights. And uh, so that, that's for you to, to, uh, to, uh, to use this path now. Use this teaching. It, there's, you know, there's something to to do, you know that you now have have been given the the right and the opportunity to listen to the Dhamma, to practice it, and so it it's now also encouraging you to cultivate this way, to develop this way. So this is called pawana, and in uh, the Thai language, they use the word pawana for meditation. It's a, they take the word itself, a Pali word, and it. Into the Thai context, and they 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 pawana, they cultivate or develop the, this path. So it's called eightfold, and even though, though our thinking is linear, remembering that these things support each other. The eight eightfolds aren't you know a right understanding and then right intention, and, and because that's the way we think. But we're looking at it as an intuitive realization, so there are eight folds or eight eight folds that come together that arise simultaneously. So it's not like a a, a kind of linear sequence. But in in the Buddhist teachings, these are ways of contemplating and just see what is right, right. Right effort. What is right concentration? Samadhi. And, and not to to look for the definition in the in the books, but to begin to recognize this in your own practice. You know, through this awareness, this attention, paying attention to the way it is. So see the, these teachings as guides as, as tools to use for reflection, for cultivation, rather than as doctrines to be accepted or rejected. And they're, they're very useful tools, helpful conventions that, 
that direct our attention what we to the subtleties of of experience that we would never see if we didn't have such an accurate and useful uh, tool as the Four Noble Truths. And I wouldn't have been able to figure it out to, uh, on my own, I'm sure. It's a, because of the Lord Buddha himself uh, giving this teaching that, that I'm able to benefit from it at this time. So that brings me into, into the feeling of, of gratitude, you know, a real love and appreciation to the, to the Lord Buddha, the historical one, for being so compassionate as to, as to be enlightened 2,542 years ago and leave a teaching that still is alive, still works, still vibrant, still true at this time here in California at the, at the, the year of Y2K. <laughs> so contemplate that and just <laughs> see how how fortunate we are, you know, that that we don't have to worry about Y two K. We've got four noble truths. <laughs> so I'll offer this as a reflection. Sadhu Karan Dadamase Sadhu